Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. are many things i'd like to say to you but i can't until next week but this is vgc a video game podcast with me jordan midler and chris scullion chris it's just us this week again the audience demanded it the two-hander is back i don't know what it is i think just people just people are just intimidated by us now and they just don't want to come on the show we're just we're just such a a, a force in, yeah in I, entertainment. I, I, I phoned up ethan lawrence last night and he said after your abuse two episodes in a row you can go f yourself, boys. <laughs> um, he was he was away filming um, Scorsese's new picture, actually. So mm. good for him. Yeah. Um, but go ahead. A, a, re- a remake of Doctor Doolittle, I believe. Yeah, yeah. He plays all the animals. It's really it's, it's really <laughs> impressive. Um, this week we've got some headlines. Obviously, it's been a bit of a busy week. Although um, I've not really noticed much of it because, as you may know from Twitter, I can legally say that I'm playing Starfield, and that's about it. Uh, we can talk about it more on the 31st, which is a week today, which means we can talk about it on next week's podcast, I believe. I didn't actually check what time the review is, but being sensible, we will hold the podcast until yeah. we can we can talk about Starfield, so look forward to that next week. So my week's been pretty full up. How's your week been, Chris? It's been okay. Obviously, Gamescom is a, is a busy week. It's not been as busy as it has been in like previous years, um, I think because the opening night live thing was okay it, mm. it, it was more like like jeff Kelly said to be fair it was more a bunch of updates on games we already know about rather than a lot of brand new game announcements um so it was a manageable um show this year obviously andy's in germany just now um actually playing a lot of the stuff and doing interviews and stuff so he's um um putting the the, the work in over there whereas we we're usually we have a busier time of it like kind of covering all the news but there hasn't been as much news this time so um it's been okay it's been manageable which is which is nice yeah let's just get into it story number one gamescom opening night live roundup um there i've just picked out some things here that i thought were interesting first of all little nightmares 3 was announced um which was uh an an, an interesting announcement especially when the trailer started and it said supermassive games i first mm. thought oh is this going to be is this like the quarry sequel or is this another one of those um the Dark Pictures Anthology, or whatever the name of those um, those games are, but it's, yeah. uh, it's it's a sequel to Little Nightmares 2, a game that was developed by Tarsier, who, following Little Nightmares 2, said, we're not doing any more of these, but Bandai, Bandai Namco said, uh-uh, uh, yeah. go, 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 yes, we're going to do more of them. Um, how did this announcement hit your ear, Chris? Um, it, it, it was fine. I mean, I, I don't, I've not played the first two for for my sins. I've, I've, there's two that are on the on the the ever the ever growing the ever growing backlog, backlog <laughs> um, which um, will will never be com- completed by the time I'm dead. But um, it's um, the 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 appeal to me and and the third one, the trailer appealed to me as well. It, like you say, Supermassive is an interesting one because um, it doesn't immediately strike you as a sort of studio that would make a game like that. But that's maybe me just typecasting, considering that. 
they've done like Until Dawn and like you see the Dark Pictures games and uh, the Quarry. It's like um, it, it feels very different. So it'll be interesting to see if the mechanics are, are kind of nailed and it feels yeah. like the like the previous two games. But I mean, they're they're far from a bad studio, so um, I've got faith that they'll do some some good with it. So I played the first one quite liked it. There was an element of this is very li- this is very limbo esque, very and mm-hmm. they were very much going for that, and I feel like they kind of shook that for the second one, but I never ended up playing that. So yeah, as you say, super massive. You think of these very specific kind of um, choice based adventure games. Yeah. Like I enjoyed the quarry. I played through that. I thought that was pretty decent. Um, it's one of these ones where I play through maybe every third one of those games because they get. It reminds me of the Telltale when Telltale was like running like the show. Firing them out. Aye. Yeah, I could play one in five of those because it's just the same thing over and over again. But people that swear by those type of games seem to really enjoy them. They also look ridiculous. I don't know if you looked at the quarry, but the, the facial animation in the quarry is insane. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. The quarry, the games like that for me are those are my exercise games. This is there's a peek into my life. Mm-hmm. Is that I've got like we've got like an exercise bike, um, and I'm like I, I'm bored at my mind every time I, I use it. Um, and you can't really play many games. I, I think if I can play games well exercising that's yeah. the game um and i can't play a lot of games like that because you're moving about you you can't you you can't like concentrate with your hand yeah. on a, a controller but the quarry and games of its ilk work because you're just pressing the button every now and then um so you can use an exercise bike while playing it and that to me is a, a seal of approval funnily enough that actually it reminds me of i've been playing well before starfield came in i was playing Baldur's gate 3 uh with my with my girlfriend watching and because it's so dialogue heavy and so much about like choices and stuff like that i felt myself not wanting to be holding the controller like i almost mm. wanted like eye tracking basically to like pick <laughs> the options for me like i just didn't i didn't feel like super controller invested and it's like um it's not so bad these days but i feel like sony games used to be bad for big long cutscene, and then you'd basically put the controller down and then a big square would pop up and it'd be like oh shit nathan drake's dead um so yeah uh, the you, you're, not, you're not just set opening bronze packs while you're on the exercise bike do the bronze pack method <laughs> i'm not i'm not um patient enough to do that method i'll i'll be i'll be playing my ea sports fc the the honest way <laughs> yeah <laughs> honest as honest as we play any game um so yeah that was an interesting announcement they also announced a podcast which um uh, we shan't talk about here because we don't give free clout to rival podcast um <laughs> Good i consider luck. that a rival <laughs> not not the podcasts the hosts of which we have on this show like <laughs> jeff gersman and jeff grubb a random podcast made by a developer that's the true rival um game of the show for both of us i think was thank goodness you're here which is a, a comedy slap former uh which is being uh is it developed by panic or is oh no it's uh, no, Cold panic's Supper. Publishing it, yeah. yeah panic's publishing it two-man team um which is a quote delightfully surreal homage to their own northern home town nothing we can say can do justice to this trailer this this was such a breath of fresh air chris yeah, if, if anyone hasn't seen it, go and look for the "Thank Goodness You're Here" trailer. Um, it's it's just insane. It, it uses that old Lily the Pink song, which I haven't heard in years, and I'm, I'm glad that someone's dug that old song up. Um, it's it, it, in its own is about mental, but the the game looks hilarious. They said they were inspired by the Beano for their art style, the kind of Beano comic, and you can tell that for for one bit. There's a point where there's loads of really quick cuts of stuff going on, and for a split second, there's 
a big giant builder's arse and the wee guy slaps it and it jiggles and at that point I was like I'm, back, this, I'm sold on this like day one <laughs> he slaps a big builder's arse 100% it looks fantastic like the arts is right up and then it's got a perfect uh, bit of Scottish dialogue at the end as well which feels sounds authentic for once um, big Scottish guy says what are you doing here you wee melon heat I was like okay brilliant um, yeah well, I mean, they're, big they're, surprise they're, they're northern English so they're alright close it's, enough it's not like these down southers trying to trying to do some Scottish yeah it's um, close enough I'll take it <laughs> yeah I, I thought I thought this was cool I love games like this in the show where we, we, we lamented it while we were covering the show um, that so many of these games just look exactly like each other it's yeah. all like 5k graphics with every single um a mechanic and uh, the idea you've seen in every other game and then something like this comes out and it's like mm. even the big one that ever, i can't remember its name just now because my mind is just melted just now but that big one that, that was showing that everyone's going on about the kind of open world game um mm. it, the it looks really cool but it looks like a million different open world games all joined together um because there's bits of like that well that's zelda <laughs> and yeah. that's that and that's this and that's that um and it looks excellent but yeah again it, it feels just like um, different things being stuck together that we've already seen before um, which I'll enjoy when it comes out especially once I remember its name um, <laughs> but um, I don't know like this is the only one that made me go oh this is very different yeah um, got to have something like that in the show it's, I feel like the show uh, these shows generally have a bit of a problem with where things are spaced out like remember a couple of years ago when it was just like space horror space horror space horror yeah. Um, I feel like that's kind of an issue still, but looking forward to this panic. Do you know what helps you space a show out though? What? It's 45 minutes of Call of Duty footage. Yeah, I agree. Just to I, in for a laugh. I actually completed the whole campaign uh, on stage there. <laughs> um, that would have really. And I just played multiplayer for 20 hours. <laughs> yeah. My, my favourite part was when they turned the HDR down as far as possible and turned the brightness on the big tellies down we were as far as possible. We were saying, could they, could they maybe make us a wee bit darker? <laughs> just sitting watching a black screen for ages. You, you know, when you start a game and it's like, make sure the logo is barely visible in the middle, they're like, no, no, thank you. All the way to the well, left. That's, that's the thing is, when it says make sure the logo is barely visible, they actually do it whereas yeah. every other person who does it goes no I'm turning that logo up a wee bit so I can actually see what's going no, on here mate we're, we're specky enough we don't need like <laughs> squinting to be able to see like where your AK-47 is um, it, was a, it was a strange uh, a strange display from it's a, it's a strange one but also a nicely nostalgic one because it, it reminded me of the good old days of E3s from about 10 years ago when every game every big game like did like here's 15 minutes or something and then it would ironically would halfway through it would say in the interest of time and like yeah. skip, it would skip two minutes worth and then do another 10 minutes it's like well if it was in the interest of time you wouldn't be showing it in the first place mate I also yeah. think it's um, interesting to perhaps look back on comments made by the producer of this show about Activision's involvement in future shows and how uh, nothing has seemingly changed but there they are Call of Duty Modern <laughs> Warfare 3 with fucking vuvuzelas and <laughs> scarfs waving it about like strange uh next up we had a new alan wake 2 trailer which i thought looked excellent uh they finally showed the alan wake in this alan wake 2 um mm. seems like they're really doubling down on the kind of multimedia there's going to be like live action cutscenes that then cut into actual gameplay and considering how good the game looks i think they can probably get away with it like there yeah, was a definitely. few bits where it was like is that a guy or is that is that computer yeah they, they like doing that, don't they? they that, that's that's been especially like Quantum Break. Like they, yeah. did, they did it quite a lot with that, and um, 
Yeah, I'm I'm up for it. It's been a long time since I played the first Me too. Um, Alan Wake. I, I got the remastered one, but I haven't played it yet. Um, so that's one that I'll I'll need to kind of brush up on again before I, I before Alan Wake two comes out because I'm definitely going to buy that. Um, yeah, it's 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 looking it's looking the part, um, and it sounds like they've got lots of kind of weird. Um, I think the other character Saga, she's called that. Like she she can go into like a kind of a special mind room where she can like mess around with clues and stuff, and it seems like in her own head and stuff, which is, it sounds like it's going to be quite odd, but in the best possible way. In Scotland, a mind room is where you go to remember things, so that is <laughs> that is appropriate. Um, I, th- I think it's strange considering like the first Alan Wake had like obviously very david lynch inspired but it was a bit knockabout like you're running about with christmas lights on and shit like that mm. in one of those missions like it was not it was a wee bit spooky but it wasn't like a horror game this one seems to be like re- modern resident evil like in terms of like proper ramping it up and i think that's a right. good change um i hope so i hope so I hope, I hope there's still the odd kind of quirky yeah. moments in it without without ruining the tone of the game they're, they're clearly going more serious this time but hopefully they don't go 100 percent serious I, th- I think they will because Rem- remedy's got that in their locker like i don't, I don't know if you've played controller if that's mm. on the, on the pile as well but there is a those I'll play five minutes it and then yeah. said, I'll, I'll finish that later and then <laughs> there is a there is a moment in control um I'll, I'll i'll refer to it as the corridor sequence which is like completely mad and like very out of place and very like remedy so yeah, hope, I'm, 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 I just want that to be uh, here. I'm looking for well, not here. Cause I'm a bit busy, but give me it, <laughs> give me it as soon as I'm done with this bloody. Space even if the, even if the TV's again like showing the the fake Twilight Zone show, that that'll do me like that. If that's if that's where I get my my levity, or just a wee breaks to just watch those, then that'll do. I bet it'll be Alan on that like late night show that they show they'll over be, and over again. Funny bits, I. Yeah. Um. Some pricks ran on stage. Now, um, that is as much identification as they will be getting in this uh, yep. this program. I can't... Well, there's two things. One, I can't believe how easy it was for two of them to get on stage. Uh, second thing, Keely handled it very well. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that he didn't crack one of them with that heavy microphone was uh, more patience than I would have shown in a similar yeah. situation. Um, but, Chris... This is going to end in somebody getting really hurt. What what do they do to to stop this? See, I'm not sure they can because I, I mean, short of it being like a football game and there being a row of stewards right across the front row um, of the stage. Um, Andy, well, as you said, there's an article up on uh, VGC now. Um, Andy interviewed the head of Gamescom, and the full interview is coming up later um, on the site where where Andy asked him about it, and he basically said, "Look, we've done." everything we could realistically do like for, we, we it's not like this was a massive surprise he basically said that we planned for these things happening and his argument was like that's why the security was appeared pretty quickly when the guy got on stage it's like um, but at the same time there's only so short of com- the, 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 he says it's like a balancing act where they where they want to still have um, interaction between the the content and the and the attendees, um, so without it turning into like I say a football match with, with, with a line of police right around the front of the stage, yeah. but at the same time people are, are are taking it to extremes. And like you say, like the very as soon as it happened, we say to each other, well, "It's good job we didn't have a knife because that like that could have turned very nasty very quickly." And it's like you've got to wonder how they're going to stop these things because 
um, now that it's happened twice, you're going to get Arsenal's going, oh, I'm, I'm going to be next because everyone wants their, their fame in, in some yeah. way or another and they need to be careful. I don't know if it's a case of like maybe like the stage design seemed quite low so they seem to just be able to like walk up some stairs and be like on i don't know if it's a case of maybe raising that and like a gig essentially where you'd have like the barricade yeah and then kind of like invisible barriers so that you're not on the stage immediately everything should be presented on those big platforms from the gladiators yeah exactly the ones where they fight with the big sticks instead they just stand and and host the games I, i think that's sensible is the referee for Gladiators still kicking a ball? John, John Anderson? Anderson? I think so. I mean, uh, Gladiators is coming back. BBC's doing Gladiators soon, so if they had any... John um, Anderson, still alive, seemingly. Good. 91? 91, <sighs> come on now. 90, I was going to say, if, if this BBC one that's coming back, they should bring him back, but maybe not, eh? Uh, yeah. that's, that's rolling the dice. But perhaps not. Blows the whistle once and instantly dies. <laughs> um... Aye, it's fair. <laughs> it says here, occupation, sports coach, partially retired. Partially retired Partially retired. Coach. Well, is he still up for it then? At 91. Well, he used to be, did he not used to be a teacher or something? Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. John Anderson, hopefully get him on the podcast uh, next week to talk about Starfield. <laughs> well, apparently he's uh, a massive fan of Dodon Patchy, so... He's <laughs> <laughs> got Dodon Patchy coming out his neck. Um... <laughs> Next story, Xbox boss would quote, love to find solutions so games aren't lost when the 360 store closes. That's about as non-committal as he will go. Phil Spencer spoke to Eurogamer regarding the, the closure of the, the Xbox 360 store, which is happening on July 29, 2024. I'm sure you'll see 50 articles about it on VGC the week prior to that. Um, <laughs> according to some VGC analysis, which was conducted by Tom Ivan, uh, around 220, <laughs> 220 games will essentially disappear once this happens. Uh, he told Eurogamer that he'd love to find a solution. Quote, there is a list of what, 220 games that are not back compat, and I have that list and I've got it stapled to my forehead. So there you go. Well, but he was lying because I, I watched that interview and it wasn't on his forehead. Yeah. So he's talking shit. How can we trust anything he says? <laughs> he will lie to our face. Another Phil Spencer. <laughs> deceit. <laughs> How many of those are on PC? That's one thing because it doesn't necessarily mean you need to be able to play it on the existing hardware you bought 15 years ago, but preservation is front and centre with all with when all these decisions are made. I will say for us that preservation that's linked uh, to only one piece of hardware is a challenge because there can be hardware love as well, people who love and want this device to do this forever, but mechanical things will break over time. But that's why we gave people this decision a year to say, hey, if you want to go buy things in the 360 store, we're going to give you a year head start and you can go get these things. Chris, do you think there's... Okay, so I foresee Xbox was showcased next year mm-hmm. and like June time, they announced that they've got a, por- a portion of those games back compat. Out of the 220, how many do you think they actually get and how many are actual gone? I'm not as confident, I think. I th- think he's talking a good game here, but I think they're just going to go sorry yeah. and, and just move on because the games that are left by and large nobody cares that much about them unfortunately um, yeah. it's, it's, there's, there's f- very few bombshells there uh, left and the ones that are like, good games are also available on other platforms um, which is something that I've been I've been in case you haven't noticed I've been doing a lot of arguing on Twitter since this <laughs> article went up um, because a lot of people don't seem to agree with me with 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 the idea that if these 360 games are disappearing 
these these digital only 360 games are disappearing it doesn't mean the games are disappearing because they're available on other systems whereas I think every version of a game counts as a separate game so people it's like if if they not that it's happening but if the 360 version of Bayonetta disappeared you can't say well at least the PS3 version's there because they both play very differently as yeah. anyone who's played them both knows so even if, if a 360 version and a PS3 version are identical it's still part of that game's history that it was released on X number of systems and people in the future who want to research those games or whatever for archival purposes should be able to access all versions of them. And without going into the uh, dodgy buying an N-Gage route, like everyone, mm. everyone there are there will be ways to play these games in, in, in a non-legal sense, but the the people want to... Some people want the, the, the knowledge that these games are preserved and, and available um, in the future, and sadly it doesn't look like it's going to happen here. Yeah, the, I'm looking at the list now. Obviously, a lot of the stuff is random shit that like no one will care when mm. it's gone, um, but there are a few strange... Just for curiosity's sake... Mighty Number no. Nine. I know that's on other platforms and stuff, but that was that's a weird ass game. Um, there's stuff like there's obviously stuff that's been superseded by other versions. Like there's yeah. Res HD here, but there's like Res Infinite, etc., and so on. Yeah. The Resident Evil games. But there's, yeah, that kind of, there's that kind of burnout spinoff that, that, that which is which is quite interesting. The kind of top down burnout game where you to where you just make try and make the best crash you can. Yeah, the kind of quirky the, stuff like that. I mean there. I mean, there's two. A lot of these games could be put down to like licensing issues. Like, are South yeah. Park going to be bothered to get Let's Go Tower Defense play and Tenement's Revenge off the 360 store? Like, yeah. perhaps not. Especially because I, I imagine those are different. That that's changed hands since then because yeah. I can't remember if that was Activision. Some someone different did those South Park games too. I thought that was a, I thought that was original THQ that did those. Was well, that THQ? I'm, perhaps I'm not. Back, I'm going. Uh, I remember, I remember, Act- I remember Activision was, or Acclaim was the first one, yeah. Crazy days. But um, yeah, so so it's like, it's not like, it, it, I'm, I'm not under any kind of false like pretenses that, that a lot of these games are going to be missed with the greatest of respect to them. But in the just grand scheme of things, it's just a shame to see more games disappearing. Um, it's, this medium is different from film and books um, in that... Uh, we're still in the kind of early days of this medium. We're we're still roughly fifty years in. If you if you don't count the kind of bizarre outliers from like the the fifties and sixties, like the, yeah. Um, if you're assuming that it kind of started generally with pong, even though it didn't, um, we're still only fifty years into this medium. And when you look back at the start of movies, there are so many films from the first twenty thirty years of movies that are gone forever because they weren't properly preserved. Um, and there are already so many mobile games that are gone forever because yeah. they they weren't properly preserved and, and some of them, a lot of games have their online servers turned off so that even if they were preserved they can't be played anymore um, it's just it's a shame that 50 years from now people won't be able to get a full picture of what um, what this was basically Do you want to hear something strange? Yes do you know who published both South Park Let's Go Tower Defense Play and South Park Tenement's Revenge? There you go. Microsoft Studios. Mm. Which makes this even weirder. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. Well, they must just not have the license anymore then, presumably. Yeah. So, those, so those wouldn't have been on PS3 then, would they? No, those were those mm. were just on Xbox. So God rest them. God rest them. Um, 
perhaps, perhaps not the greatest loss. But I mean, if something as big as like a, a, a licensed South Park game published by Microsoft can get binned off, then then, then what? Well, it's just it's just have? stuff like I mean, it's just stuff that again, it's not a, in the grand scheme of things, not a massive loss. But in the future, if someone wants to do it, the history of South Park games, yeah, then they're gubbed when they get to those two, or they're going to have to go down like. Um, dodgy routes to to get them. It's, it just it just makes the, going back through the history of games that little much that little bit harder. Basically, I mean, I had a PS3 sitting under my desk for ages that just had Scott uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World and DJ Hero on it, and now DJ Hero is the only one left. That's about, that, that's I've got. I've still got my 360 with the the best of the um my, my retail 360 from back in the day with the best of the games that are no longer available. So it's got the outrun. Xbox nice. Live Arcade version outrun, um, Rock Band Blitz, which to this day I believe is the best rhythm action game. Um, uh, Scott Pilgrim, like you say, so yeah, it's it's. I think there's going to be a few more games getting added to that <laughs> before before this uh, closes. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, we will be back after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing mint mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30 percent off the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. And we're back. Small moment to say, Terry Funk, God rest him. God rest him. We couldn't have a podcast without talking about the Funker. My favourite Terry Funk moment, and it w- it won't be one that uh, that it's not a rare moment. It's not a a, a match from Japan from 1973. It's when he got kicked by a horse in WCW <laughs> and responded by saying "fucking horse." <laughs> That's. That's peak wrestling for me. <laughs> Mine's my favorite, and it's weird. My favorite Terry Funk moment is I don't think he actually knows much about it, um, and it's extremely niche. But like during, for a period, my brother was uh, the insane clown posse. For, oh, for, nice! For, for He's a juggalo. Reason. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, well, it's not not so much anymore, thankfully. But back in the, this is like ni- late nineties, early two thousands, when it was cool to be a juggalo. He was a juggalo, mm-hmm. um, and they released a bunch of wrestling DVDs called Strangle Mania, where because they they loved the wrestling, obviously the. the, the yeah. ICP and what they'd done for this Stranglemania was they basically took that Japanese deathmatch tournament that, that were the famous Cactus Jack and Terry Funk exploding barbed wire deathmatch um, they took that they got the, the that entire pay-per-view and did fake commentary over it like nice. as, as to like kind of legends legendary commentators and it's hilarious <laughs> I don't like I don't care for their music a bit but their, com- yeah. their wrestling commentary is hilarious and they changed the name so instead it was instead of Terry Funk and Cactus Jack it was Cactus Sack ha ha mm-hmm. ha and Drunk Terry Flunk and Terry Funk was wearing his Funk U 
um, t-shirt of the Funk University the Funk yeah. and the t-shirt appeared for the, the first time on screen and one of the ICP just went Funk you motherfucker <laughs> and ever since then I always say that to my brother all the time so like I know it's such a niche thing that's not massively funny to anyone who wasn't there but um, that's what I'll always remember about Terry Funk is Funk you God rest a, a recent a recent Terry Funk adjacent moment that I really liked was um it was after some AEW pay-per-view CM Punk was in a press conference and he was on one as usual mm. um, oh I think it was actually the one where he went absolutely mental and just started calling like Hangman Page and the Young Bucks like dickheads and shit like that <laughs> but it was like um, if you had Terry Funk back and then he, he points to the journalist and he's like have any of you seen Terry Funk and a few of them put their hand up and then they go and then he goes have any of you really seen Terry Funk and, the only, and Dave Meltzer's there like who are you talking yeah. about like I, I was there mate I was seeing Terry Funk before you were born and he was like <laughs> okay Dave you don't really count <laughs> um, but cool. anyone who wants a real proper obituary of Terry Funk Meltzer's probably going to put out about 12,000 words today his obituaries are always whatever you think about him his obituaries are fantastic yeah. there's there's not a man on earth that probably knows more about that era of professional wrestling for anyone not familiar too much with Terry Funk or old school wrestling I'd go and check out the old documentary Beyond the Mat because Terry Funk features quite prominently in that I just think think to yourself look how fucked he looked then <laughs> yeah. and then consider that documentary was like 25 years ago <laughs> it's like the guy fought so many times after that yeah. um and yeah, so it, it, in, a, in a sense, it's amazing that he reached 79 considering some of the stuff he went through. But um, yeah, fair play to him. God rest him. Good old run, Terry Funk. Mm-hmm. Chainsaw Charlie, <laughs> also known as the Black Baron, Doctor Knows It All, and the Texan. Doctor Knows uh, It All. <laughs> we are not likely to see his like again. Next story. Bioware is laying off 50 employees in a blog post that Bioware General Manager Gary McKay said uh, reorganising its team was necessary as the Electronic Arts Studios rethinks its approach to development. Quote, in order to meet the needs of our upcoming projects, continue to hold ourselves to the highest standard of quality and ensure Bioware can continue to thrive in an industry that's rapidly evolving, we must shift towards a more agile and more focused studio it will allow developers to iterate quickly, unlock more creativity, which editors know that's a fucking horrible phrase while you're sacking people, mm-hmm. and form a clear vision of what we're building before development ramps up. Um, uh, this vision balances the current needs of the studio, namely ensuring Dragon Age Dreadwolf is an outstanding game, and with the future, including the success of the next Mass Effect. This seems like a weird move mm. for a team that are making two absolutely enormous games, like not only for finishing off a Dragon Age for what, a 2025 release maybe, then a Mass Effect for like a 2027, yeah. and some of the people that were getting let go were like seniors and stuff like that, so how did this hit you? I mean, reading between the lines, and that, that's all, all you can do here is attempt to read between the lines, and again, this is purely guesswork. But from what Gary, I can never tell if it's McKay or Mackay, is, is yeah. saying, um, it, the impression, again, like you say, it's, a, it's, a, it's really shit language to be using when you're letting people go, like saying that, oh, but this will let us unlock more creativity by letting by making people redundant. It gives the impression that there's lots of fighting and argument about what the game's supposed to be. Um, and if, 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 if some senior people are being let go, then it sounds like there may have been a clash um, at a senior level as to the game should be this no the game should be that, no it should be this, it should be that so if he's saying that by getting rid of some of these people it will let them unlock more creativity and form a clear vision of what we're building 
it sounds like they're trying to remove one side of the argument to to um so that everyone's on the right track and everyone knows exactly what the vision is. Um, again, that's pure guesswork. I don't know anything about what's going on behind the scenes, but the the way that's worded suggests to me that this has been done to um, get everyone on on the same kind of path um, and avoid any more arguments about um, what should be going on going forwards. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always sad when people get laid off, but also the market for... Um, like get the games market is very very hot right now, so these people will likely land on their feet, especially if they're mm-hmm. coming from somewhere like Bioware. Like that's yeah, that's a big cheese, especially with the type of games that every studio is making right now. Like every studio is making a massive RPG, a massive open world game, a massive whatever. Like so, it's a crazy people- one, and you've got to think it. it- <laughs> You've got to think it's not a, a money saving thing because it's not like yeah. it's not like EA don't have two pennies to rub together like they're, they're like FIFA or EAFC Ultimate Team alone is yeah. paying for like the entire every bio, every game Bioware makes for the next decade. Um, so it, it, it doesn't appear to be a money saving thing. There must be another. I, I, I would assume again. I'm, I'm, I'm making. I'm jumping to conclusions here, but it, it feels like there, there's another reason for this, and it's, it's been done to create more harmony in the team for for whatever reason maybe it's just another maybe it's just a too many cook situation um where they've they've over kind of um overemployed for 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 these games and there's 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 just a, a, a mashup of, of of too many ideas all coming together maybe it's that um but either way it's not ideal and there's also perhaps an argument that maybe mass effect is further a lot is like further away than we think yeah. and the be- the bean counters are like it doesn't matter how much money the other elements of ea are making we need to look like we are a money-making operation yeah, here so if we can trim like 50 salaries that's like several millions of dollars that yeah. we can just like put back in so yeah it's a it's a, it's a sad situation mm-hmm. uh speaking of a sad situation sony's remote play handheld project q is now called playstation portal the psp is back baby are you ready it will cost two hundred dollars two hundred dollars to play remote play uh at 1080p with a resolution uh 1080p resolution and 60 frames per second chris how many of these will you be buying day one i'll be buying roughly zero um, roughly zero roughly so that zero. could be one um with, with a with a with a correction rate of zero Oh. <laughs> it'll be I don't I, I, I didn't get this when they announced it and I was thinking I think I've said on previous podcasts let's wait and see if there's more information to come that will make it clearer as to what the point of this is um, and more information has now come and no point I've, I've got that information for you right here Chris um, as the number one Sony fan uh, as Thanks. the number one ladies detective agency on this podcast I will read this quote from the PlayStation blog. PlayStation Portal is the perfect device for gamers and households where they might need to share the living room TV or simply want to play PS5 games in another room of the house. PlayStation Portal will connect remotely to your PS5 over Wi-Fi so you'll be able to swiftly jump from playing on your PS5 to your PlayStation Portal. PlayStation Portal can play supported games that are installed on your PlayStation 5 console and use the DualSense controller. Uh, furthermore, PlayStation VR 2 games, which require the headset, and games that are streamed through PlayStation Plus's premium cloud streaming are not supported. Chris, how many will you be buying? With, with, with this new information, I've, I've revised my uh, number to zero. <sighs> it's, 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 a, it's a Wii U gamepad with half the functionality. Yeah. 
It's it's the it's doesn't the, even have Nintendo one. It's the TV bit of the Wii U where if someone wants to use the telly, you go, oh, it's okay, I'll just switch to my Wii U, but it doesn't have the asynchronous, uh, asymmetrical multiplayer aspect of it. It's just a, it's it's a two hundred pound thing that does what your phone does and what your PC does, and if 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 the only thing that I think they would have made it interesting it would have even maybe caught my eye is if they'd allowed you if you were a PlayStation Plus premium subscriber to stream games on it and they obviously were never going to allow that because then people would say well I'll just get a subscription and buy this and not need a PS5 um, and they obviously want people to buy PS5s first and foremost and if they allowed PlayStation Plus premium streaming on the PlayStation portal people, a lot of people would have just bought a PlayStation portal and a subscription and that would have been it um, but at the same time, let me, as a PlayStation Plus premium subscriber, let me use my PlayStation portal to stream PlayStation Plus premium games through, via my PS5. And if there's latency, then fine, I'll deal with it. But I'm sure there'll be some RPGs that'll, that'll allow for it. Um, it's crazy that the only thing you can do with this £200 slab is be is play from your own PlayStation 5 as long as it's turned on. Um, I I yeah. just I don't get it. Like your phone does that, and and then the fact is, like most phones, a lot of like well, most modern phones, um, and and PCs and stuff support the DualSense controller. Um, so it's not even like the remote play is massively hampered on other devices, um, because it's, many of them support the DualSense as well. So I just I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I'm always first to buy new hardware. I bought a PlayStation TV, like back in the day, to play Vita and PSP games on the telly. Like I bought the iToy. Um, I bought, yeah, I, bought the iToy. I bought Buzz. I bought all the gimmicks. I, I'm not going anywhere near this. I can't. Um, yes, even even I am not going to get one of these. I was sitting talking to my partner last night, and I was we we're talking about going on holiday and stuff like that, and talking about what do you do when you're sitting by the pool on holiday. And I was like, oh, the last beachy holiday I went on. I was playing Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker on the PSP Go. Remember the wee slide-up oh, yeah. one? That was an excellent That was cool. That was cool. Um, I was like, oh, that's what that's what I do. And she was like, oh, would you take the Switch? And I was like, and I almost said, I was like, no, I'll just take that new PlayStation thing, completely forgetting that it's, it's, it's basically it's worthless when you're right. outside your house. Like, it's such a strange decision. Off the back of PSVR 2 doing this, you've got to imagine Jim Ryan's going to kick the hinges off the doors at, like, Sony Hardware and be like, lads the, see that that fancy controller you did good that's selling well people seem to be like people aren't like flying to get them but the the hardcores are getting those they seem quite happy with it see that's fucking headset and this bloody tablet can you just stop Do you know i'm worried that this the playstation portal actually does less than people think it does because they're being very careful to suggest that it can only be used in your house yeah. um they're not saying because even on your phone, if you do remote play on your home, as long as somebody's at home to turn your PlayStation 5 on for you, you can play at, like in a hotel room on your phone. You can do remote play. They're not saying this. Because it's Wi-Fi only, even, even in a hotel room with Wi-Fi, I get the impression that it's going to be the sort of Wi-Fi connection where both where two devices connect to the same Wi-Fi in your house. I think it's going yep. to be that sort of thing where Sony wants... Sony wants no middleman like kind of uh, duties whatsoever. Like you know, when you're re- remote playing from a different location, you connect to a, a thing, and your PS5 connects to a thing, and you both 
stream together whereas I get the impression the Wi-Fi in this and that's why there's no other connections and it's Wi-Fi only is that you connect both to your router basically and that's how it works um, because they're specifically saying this is a perfect device <clears throat> for gamers and households where they might need to share their living room TV or play PS5 games in another room in the house it doesn't say while you're on holiday you can play your PS5 um, yeah. it doesn't say that I think this is even more limited than some people believe I think I'm dying to get one and fan it about with it. Like, I just want to get it, put it through its paces, see what the limitations are, and then I want to see what how people engage it. Like, what what is in that thing, and what could it turn into? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, is it is it strong enough to, well, to run Game Boy games? Well, there was that breakdown that implied it was a like a, a proper Android tablet or something, wasn't it? Like, like underneath, mm-hmm. so like there there's there's it does stuff. <laughs> it's just it's not just not stuff just, Sony wants you to be stuff. doing. So yeah, it'll be interesting. A few months down the line, to see what it can do, what what people make it do. Beyond. When you've injected it with a lethal dose of poison. When you when you apply the N gauge patch, yeah, exactly. we'll see what happens. A little bit of the old N gauge patch. Um, this week I've been playing. Well, last week at this point, this week I've been playing this stupid star game. But um, the the previous week I was playing Immortals of Avium, a game you may have heard of on the show because I've played it a few times now. Uh, reviews on the site. It's, it's it's really solid. It's like a really great start for a new IP. Is So funnily enough, it's an EA thing. And it reminds me of, remember in 2007 when they were like, we're going to do this EA's, uh, this initiative EA where we're going to put out Dead Space. We're going to put out Mirror's Edge. We're going to put out Skate. We're going to put out these games that are not franchises, not your battlefields, not your sports games. Mm-hmm. It has that vibe about it to the point where, firstly, I really hope it gets a sequel. I'm worried considering where they've put it out. Like, the 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 chatter around this game before it was even reviewed was why are they putting it out like a week before Starfield? Yeah. It was originally meant to come out in July when nothing was out, which would have been a nice spot. But between the all the Baldur's Gate patter, which is still going, but it's like slightly waning, and you can feel people, well, especially as like like leaks of Starfield are happening, you can feel that ramping up. Or certain we're getting into that era. Mm-hmm. Then as soon as Starfield's out, then it's going to be the September rush, and all that stuff's going to happen. Yeah. So. I hope it makes it to a second one. It's um, it's a first-person magic shooter. The your your kind of gimmick is that you've got red, blue, and green magic, and each of those represents like a style of gun. Almost the the guy that directed it, Brett Robbins, who we have an interview with at the end of the show, uh, used to work on Call of Duty campaigns, and you can you can really feel that while you're playing it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting, it's a meaty kind of single-player experience, which I feel like at some point. Chris, and maybe the last or previous generation, we just got to a point where we accepted the single-player campaigns of this elk were like six or seven hours, but this yeah. is much more like, I think I was like 15 or something like that. So yeah, it's a, it's it's one I would say to m- maybe wait for EA Play. Is that what they call their, yeah. their subscription yeah. thing? Because it screams EA Play. I was, I was thinking exactly that. I was thinking, this sounds really good, but I've got so much on just now. As soon as it hits EA Play, I'm on it. Um, and that, that might actually not be a terrible thing for it, because it might take a hit um, in, in financially for the, for the first release. Like you say, they've released it at a terrible time. But when it comes to EA Play, if they give it enough of a push and, and enough um, there's enough buzz around it when it comes to EA Play from a lot of people saying, by the way, a lot of people passed on this before but you really should give it your attention then if a sequel does come around then maybe there'll be a, a larger number of people who played the first one and the sequel might do better yeah um it's uh 
it's a strange one but i i i enjoyed it like from the from when i played it in in san francisco before i got apocalyptically unwell i really enjoyed it and i was like i hope i hope this like sticks to landing and it does it also looks really nice it's like a locked 60 on consoles maybe it's i would maybe say it's a perhaps a pc one because it's quite precise with the shooting sometimes Mm. but yeah it's 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 one to to look out for because i do fear that it's destined to be like ridiculously cheap or ea played before time yeah. it's not like something like uh, jedi survivor where they're going to keep that off their subscription services as long as possible so they can just keep uh like ticking away at it yeah. but yeah it's an it's an interesting little game uh we will uh we will have a, a conversation with some of the team from models of avium following the conclusion of this show you've been playing anything this week chris um I have. Let me just check and see if I'm allowed to actually see. Can you legally talk about it? I'm not sure. In the meantime, let me get on my high horse. Last night, it was about 10 o'clock at night, me and my partner sitting watching YouTube, as we do. We watch uh, someone who will remain nameless because um, I don't want to promote them, but they open Pokemon cards and uh, they were opening the new McDonald's Pokemon cards, which have returned to to McDonald's stores uh, nationwide, apparently. So I think, you know what, let's get in the car, go to the McDonald's, at Linwood and ask to buy these Pokemon cards. We get there, no Pokemon cards, an absolute disaster. We end up just getting a McFlurry and a sugary iron brew and that causes hallucinations during the night. It was an absolute nightmare. Chris, can you talk about this game? Okay, so no. It's <laughs> 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 the short answer. Um, so, yeah. Um, that, that'll be one for next week. Like, in, yeah. in the three seconds in between Starfield chat, I'll be able to slip this one in. Um, but anyone who, who listened to last week's podcast might be able to gleam what I'm playing now because uh, I went on a nice wee uh, positive rant about it like last week um, and I now I now have it so like it'll be that mm. basically but we'll, Chris's I'll... review of Tekken 8 coming up <laughs> confirmed um, yeah so we'll talk about it next week but um, whatever it is I'm I'm enjoying it um, I've, no, I've, no, I've also no, done my... no deliveries during the podcast no deliveries I was expecting I, I, I was promised um, and if he'll be listening now but I was promised by my publisher John the, the first copy of the Dreamcast Encyclopedia, my brand new tome uh, will be at my door before 11.30 and it's now 11.20 and nothing. Oh. I was hoping for a comical set piece uh, during the podcast but um, oh, we have had You're absolutely destroying kayfabe here we, We've had hee-haw Barney McGraw and yeah. so it's a sad day, it's a sad day for the literary world <laughs> <laughs> but, but we'll go over it it's like when they burned the library of alexandria but where, where can we get this book well, well, well once once i get it i'll tell you um <laughs> it, it, you can get it from all good bookshops and some of the bad ones um amazon they're obviously doing it uh, pen and sword are the publishers so you can go straight to there if you want um other than that amazon uh, any w smith uh in America cha- uh, chapters in Indigo in Canada and Barnes and Noble they're all doing it um, so if you just search Chris Scullion or search Dreamcast Encyclopedia you'll find it there thank you very much Jordan for asking me um, how I can plug my book you're welcome this is my show I'll, I'll do what I want um, what was the name of your publisher John? Uh, John uh, John Wright um, uh, uh, John Wright? Mm-hmm. Are you, you're taking the piss. Why? John Wright? Yeah, I'm checking to see if there's any. John Wright books? Okay. <laughs> um, uh, John, I would write a, a book about Pokemon. You know where to find me. 
Next week, we will be talking about Starfield. We will have so much Starfield coverage, it will be coming out of your neck. Uh, before we go, we'd like to thank the great Grant Kirk Hope for the use of the BGC podcast theme. You can send any questions, comments, and concerns to podcast at videogameschronicle.com. Say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Chris. Stick around for our Immortals of Avium interview. God rest, Terry Funk, and we'll see you next week. Lovely. This is Avium. As we speak, the game is around 20 days away from launch. So, Brett, I spoke to you a few months ago and asked you how you were feeling back then. How do you feel now that the game is so close to being in players' hands? I am really excited. We've uh, been putting a lot of uh, effort into making it um, the best it could possibly be. Uh, The last several weeks have been really intense, but they've been great seeing the game really come together, um, getting the final polish done, all the bugs fixed. Um, I'm really, really excited. We've been doing our final focus testing. The focus testing is coming back fantastic. So I, I couldn't be... I couldn't be more thrilled. I'm, I'm really excited to see how people respond to it uh, when it comes out. Have you played through the finished version yourself? Yeah, I have. I I play the game all the time, um, and I I probably spend 12 hours a day playing the game. It seems it feels like that at least. And uh, is our master Magnus. <laughs> I, I've played the final uh, version, and um, it's it's really solid. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's great. In terms of bringing the game into lawn, uh, into London, what has yeah. it been like for you in this past couple of months? Because presumably a lot of your work has been done for quite a long time. What is yeah. your kind of day-to-day as we get to the launch? Yeah, you're right. I mean, um, a lot of it is, you know, when you get into this stage of the project, um, of course, we're doing optimization and, and, and constant perf testing and memory optimization, stuff like that. So a big part of the job right now is just reviewing the game reviewing the game, making sure that it stays looking the way that it should. Um, and that's the bulk of it. There is the odd task that we have to do, like, you know, maybe fixing uh, an LOD or, you know, just art main and space. Yeah. We're not putting anything new into the game. Everything is all about tightening up and tuning. So, but you know, what am I feeling? I, it's, it's pretty elating, you know, um, we actually just celebrated our fifth birthday as a Senate yesterday. We went down to the, the local restaurant and raised a toast. But uh, it's been five long years making this game, and we're ecstatic to be buttoning this thing up and, and super happy and excited, to, you know, anticipation of getting players in the world out there playing this thing. We're, uh, <laughs> we're very, we've got a lot of pent-up energy and we can't wait to get it out there in terms of um brett in terms of coming into landing one of the main things that happened recently was the delay of the game until slightly later in the year um talk to me about that decision what was the moment you knew that it had to happen and what was the reaction like from inside ascendant uh well i'll say the reaction was probably relief because we were um you know, there there were still a lot of bugs and it felt like we needed the extra time for polish and just to get the, the final bugs fixed. And, um, you know, this is our first game as a studio and 
you know, first impressions are everything. So I wanted to make sure we had the strongest possible launch. I wanted to make sure the game was as good as it could possibly be because, you know, if you spend an extra month now, this game is going to have a lifetime for years and years. I've worked on games that, uh, you know, people still talk about 14 years later, thinking about something like Dead Space. And, you know, you just want to make sure that it, it, it's going to have a life of its own far beyond the, uh, the launch. So the extra month that we uh, say so the difference in quality is night and day. So um, I'm really, really happy we made that decision. And, and it's, you know, it'll be that much better for the players. I think there was cheering at the meeting when you, when you <laughs> told the team about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of a, a launch date now, you're in a slightly more congested area. You've got games like Madden a few, day, a few days before. There's Armored Core. And then obviously the big one people are talking about is Starfield slightly after that. What was the, the thought behind going from that pretty uninterrupted July period into the slightly busier period? Well, really, it was, um, it was much more about what the game needed than what the launch window looked like. Um, you know, the game needed an extra month. It didn't need three months. It didn't need six months. Um, it just needed a little more time to make it, make it right. Um, I, I think the launch window is perfectly fine. Um, there are big games coming out. We're a big game as well. Um, I think we're pretty different than a lot of what's coming out. We're nothing like Starfield. We're nothing like Armor Core. So um, if people want something that's a fantastic story and a really fun, you know, combat and gameplay and is something new and original that they haven't seen before, then I think they're going to, they're going to really enjoy our game. Maybe they should be worried about us. Exactly. (laughs) And what was the reaction like in terms of inside the studio? And was there immediately something that you thought, okay, now we've got this time, let's go and work on this thing that we wish we could have had the time to do. Uh, No, it wasn't enough time to like, add a feature or, you know, change anything significant about the game. Um, You know, you just, when you're closing a project, you've got a huge list of uh, polish issues and bugs that you're trying to bang through uh, as quickly as possible. Um, And we had, you know, a big team working every day on it. So um, the extra time just allowed you to get more of those things done, which essentially just means polish. Um, So it's a much cleaner game. Um, people won't run into as many problems, if any, and um, the experience is just a lot better. But it wasn't a case of, oh, great, let's, you know, add a level or add a, a story beat or anything significant. It's just make it make it the, the cleanest version we can. Um, Dave, in terms of your department and the people you're working with day to day, when that call comes down that you're getting some time to delay, was there anything in your team that they just thought, okay, finally we can go and do this or good, this will be part of the, the finished game as opposed to a day one patch? No, I think, I think more it was, you know, as Brett has already said, there was a lot of relief in the art team. Um, everybody was just hell-bent and getting as many bugs out of the game as possible. And, um, you know, the balance of like performance and visuals, so the longer time just allowed us to polish things more and get the bugs out basically it's not a, a month's not a lot of time but you can you can do a lot in a month mm. uh, when it comes to just wrapping things out towards the end 
Yeah, I mean, we had, you know, over 100 people working <clears throat> on the game at that point, and uh, that's a lot of a lot of power to, you know, the, those extra four weeks can be very meaningful, and they were. And yeah. Steve, just staying on the, the kind of art side for a moment, presumably getting to come up with a, a whole fantasy world and how things look is presumably the dream. Kind of what was the experience like on Immortals of Avium when you started on the project? Um, it was it, it was exciting and also intimidating, I think, at the beginning, you know. Uh, exciting because, yeah, you're working on a brand new IP, the world's your oyster. Um, Brett had a 60-page design document ready to go when I started as, like, employee number six or something. <clears throat> so to... Um, to come into a project at the very, very beginning that had a strong vision and all we had to do was just to find the right style to kind of match with it. You know, it, to come up with something brand new these days, it's not easy. I mean, games have been going on for quite a while now and, and just movies and entertainment in general, it's hard to come out with a voice of your own. So uh Quite honestly, that took a that took a while, probably, I don't know, a year and a half, two years to start getting comfortable with the direction we were going. But um, back in our early days, um, probably in the first year, we had some thumbnails of some enemy characters that we were all kind of pondering over. And some of the silhouettes of these characters have not changed um, since that time period, like some of the Risharnian armor designs. Uh, their helmet designs and stuff like that. So I think that very early on kind of sparked us and set us off in a direction where um, the right thing to do was to start mixing old world kind of medieval sentiment with sci-fi shape language and things like that to really just come up with a new recipe for a look. So time period matching and, and thinking of our world as a completely different world and you know, it's not Earth, it's somewhere else. It's Avium in its own universe. Um, that kind of helps. Oh, I wanted to talk to um, both of you about the sigil in terms of it's the main thing you see throughout the game is your weaponry. It's basically going to dominate any screenshot of the game that is in gameplay. And at what point did you land on that, Brett, as the main weapon? And how many revisions did that go through? When did you become committed to that as the main form of combat in the game? Uh, the sigil was a very early idea. I think it it was in that original design document that <laughs> Dave was talking about. Um, I had always wanted, you know, the, the, the core concept for the game was this um, military fantasy game. Um, and... And, you know, the idea of being the battle mage, playing this battle mage, I, I felt like, you know, I didn't want it to be Harry Potter. I wanted it to be something, you know, a little more, for lack of a better word, a little more badass, a little more interesting, a little more uh, cool. And so the sigil is basically your wand on steroids. It's this, you know, uh, cool armature uh, that uh, can ship, it can, you know, change its shape. You can get, you know, there's many different sigils that you can collect. Um, that was, that was very early on. I want, and I knew, I knew I didn't want guns in the game, but I knew as a first person shooter, you needed, you know, that, that representation of the character on screen all the time. And I needed to look really, really cool. So, um, you know, 
I didn't have really an idea of what it was going to look like. I don't even know if I did a lot of reference for Dave when early on, it, it was just kind of a written down concept. And um, I will say like Dave personally really ran with the sigil designs and led that effort entirely. And we, you know, it's a really complicated kind of modular system, the way the sigils were built. And uh, well, I'll let you talk about Dave, but like, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I was super happy with how it ended up. Um, and I haven't worked on a shooter, um, my gosh, since like early 2000s. Like Republic Commando was the last shooter I worked on. So um, it, it was kind of, it was a long process. We we kind of designed and stuck with our original three sigils, the red, green, and the blue for years. I mean, we really didn't we didn't stick the the foot on the gas pedal until like the last year and a half or two years of production where we really knew what we needed. You know, we had figured out our design language for red, blue, and green magic and other avenues like costumes and, and uh, VFX and things like that. So I'm kind of in, in retrospect, I'm glad we waited that long and didn't just try to bash out a bunch of stuff at the beginning. We probably would have scrapped a lot of it. Um, but it was, And it was a hard kind of like technical uh, effort as well. Like, as Brett said, you know, we want, we don't want to be a gun shooter, but there's certain things, uh, certain familiarities that you have to stick to, like the real estate that takes up on screen. You don't want to cover too much of the screen up. Um, You know, it's always going to be there right in the front. So the level of detail that you have to build into these things and the, the interesting shapes you know, that it's something you have to pay attention to all the time. You've got to design shapes that, that lead the player's eyes towards the center of the screen um, and don't distract from that. So it was a big challenge. Um, and then the whole like modular system Brett was talking about is purely to create uh, a volume of more. As you know, the game is about collecting gear and upgrading your gear. And, and that was, that became a huge, huge part of the game. We didn't really get to experience it until very late because, as I said, we didn't. We had three sigils to work with for years. Um, but as soon as we started adding that into the game, and the combat t- team did a great job, uh, kind of making them all feel different from each other, uh, stat-wise and all that stuff. But when that came into the game, it really, really started to feel like a game. You know. It, it felt like it was missing something before and that mm. came in kind of later and just felt amazing to see that come together in terms of designing like attacks and things like that they're obviously very screen filling and very visually kind of interesting in comparison with a shooter where essentially you don't see the bullets you just see the effect of them on the the enemy was there ever a moment where you felt like whether it be the vfx or the art or just the amount of colors was maybe too difficult to read for the player and it had to be uh, pulled back somewhat, Dave? I think one example was, um, you know, the big emulate beam that we have in there. Is that what it's called still? I can't even remember. <laughs> At one point, it was so ridiculously over the top. It just, you couldn't even see what you were shooting. Like the effects just covered up your target. So yeah, we had to lower it and, and tune it. So it felt like... Uh, the amount of power that we wanted the player to feel like they had in their hands. Um, but also, you know, most importantly, be able to see your target while you're shooting. So 
um, there was constant tuning going on with that stuff. Mm. And it, fe- yeah. it feels like a lot, but when you're playing the game, it still feels good. And it does give you that feeling that you've got, you're a beast. You just have so much power in this game. And it uh, it's fun to watch enemies flying around and dissolving. And it's, it's you've got the power. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say it's something that's going to be a signature for our game. The fact that there is a lot of magic and effects and, and, you know, spells um, going off during combat. Um, if you watch a video, it could look a little overwhelming when you play it. I really don't feel you, know, you really have a much better sense of what's going on in the control and, you know, with good frame rate and everything like that. It's, it's not, you know, um, I don't think it's a, a distraction or anything. Um, yeah. And it's cool. It feel it feels really cool. You're gonna, you know, people will see a 10 second clip from our game from across the room and go, "Oh, that's Mortals of Avian. Just because that, you know, it's gonna be such a a, a signature of what we're doing. Uh, so I, I feel great about it. Our, our VFX team was amazing, um, led by Joe Hall, who's uh, another Call of Duty veteran and someone I've worked with in the past and. He, he did a fantastic job directing the VFX. You, you mentioned Call of Duty there, and in terms of weaponry in a Call of Duty campaign, it's very uh, surgically placed out when you're going to get a new weapon, how that's going to affect the next kind of engagement. Was that kind of um, philosophy applied to Mortals of Avium? How frequently are players getting new weaponry, and is that throughout the whole game? Yeah, uh, we... Um, introduce new sigils, new sigil variants. So, you know, not only do you have like your, your Shrike Bolt, which is your, uh, you know, standard blue blast, but there's variants on that. There's the Javelin variant or the Arclight variant. We couldn't really, we didn't want to just, you know, throw all that in the player's lap at once and have them figure it out. So those kind of get introduced either as you're, as you're playing and discovering items in the game or, you know, there's the forge where you can purchase or construct new items. Um, those items will kind of unlock uh, as as the game progresses. So um, you can kind of get familiar with something. You can try something out, see how that that feels, uh, that sigil feels. And as far as your uh, your spells, um, yes, those get um, unlocked as you play. You get new. Uh, abilities, new furies, new control spells, um, and uh, some of them even have uh, puzzle associations or the ability to unlock new areas. So you'll, you know, get an ability and then you can return to previous levels and use that to um, open up more of the game. So um, yeah, that was a very deliberate sort of you know measuring out of mechanics so we don't overwhelm people. But they're constantly finding new, you know, cool new things, and you're getting new abilities almost through the entire campaign. It's really, you know, um, even towards the end. So, uh, yeah, it feels pretty good. And and how long is the game on a traditional playthrough? And was that length something that you went into the game deciding I want it to be roughly this long, or did that creep up on you as development went on? Um, it creeped up on me. I wasn't sure how long the game was going to be. I, I wanted it to be, you know, I was coming off of nine years of making Call of Duty campaigns, which are generally about five or six hours. I definitely wanted something much bigger than that. 
and I knew we were going to have exploration and side content and, you know, extra things to find and hidden bosses and all that kind of stuff. So I, I expected it would be, it would be bigger. I wasn't sure how much bigger, but it wasn't until we really kind of assembled the whole game and started playing through that we got a sense of it. Um, that if you just play the story and just kind of power through and you don't do a lot of exploration, it's, it's a good 20 hours or more. Um, if you're going to explore, uh, find all the, uh, there's these little mini levels called shroud fanes. If you're going to find those, you're going to find, try to beat the high, the hardest bosses. It could be 30, 40 hours. Um, there's a lot of extra content in there. There's a lot of things to explore and find. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big campaign Mm -hmm. and that's, and that's not like open world content where you're, you know, um, spending 20 hours hunting deer or something. This is like scripted, cool, you know, unique content. It's like, it's a lot of, (laughs) it's a lot. It's a real, it's a big, awesome game in that sense. And in terms of um, following the launch of Immortals, what does the what does the roadmap look like ahead of that? Is that mostly just supporting the game in terms of whatever bug fixes there may be, or is there ambition to do more content? Where where's your head at with it? Um, definitely supporting the game in terms of bugs and problems or balancing issues or whatever. Um, we plan on keeping a very close eye on how people are receiving the game, and if there's any issues or anything, we'll we'll jump on those. I've never worked on a game where you didn't, the second you finish it, want to make a better version of it and do all the things that you, you couldn't do uh, in the first game because you ran out of time or money. So, and, and we left a lot of very cool ideas on the cutting room floor. Um, there, there's very cool, you know, we got plenty of great ideas in the game, but, you know, there's a lot there uh, and there's a lot of untold stories and everything. So my head is definitely, you know, thinking about that um it's all cart before the horse until the game comes out but um i definitely want you know want to do more as far as dlc or um you know anything supporting game one um also it's you know we got to see how things go uh before we can really say whether that's uh the right move or not um so we will know much more in about three weeks in terms of how the game is now essentially complete how does that compare to how you thought the project was going to go when you joined as employee number six, did you say? It was hard to imagine what, uh, what the game was going to be if I jumped back in time. Um, but knowing that, you know, the type of team that Brett was trying to build back then um, and the pedigree of the people, um, Brett included, what they had worked on in the past, uh, I have always wanted to work on something that was AAA caliber. Um, you know, the stuff at LucasArts I thought was great content, um, but the strategy of that company was that every game they made was a completely different game. So you never got that, like, you never get the benefit of, like, building up on a sequel or improving improving the attack much, stuff like that, um, aside from maybe the adventure games, but... And at Telltale, we were able to hone our hone our, our gameplay more than anything else. The content had to be made so quickly that you never really got a chance to make the, the visuals shine. I, you know, I'm still proud of stuff that we did there, but 
it's not until now that we, you know, five years is a long time. And the amount of time that you have to put into building things these days is ridiculous. It's <laughs> the models are so detailed. And uh, the one thing that I really, really, really enjoyed, and, and I believe it's the thing that makes all great games look awesome is the lighting. Like, so being able to use lighting in Unreal 5 has been kind of a godsend. Uh, you can iterate so quickly and make things look so nice. Um, just the fact that our runtime cinematics almost feel like people think they're pre-renders sometimes. So it's, you know, I, I, I just love it. I'm, I'm ecstatic. Um, it's my favorite projects I've ever worked on in my entire career. I've been in the games for 30 years. Really proud of the team uh, who took a chance on a new IP and a new company. I just feel enormously grateful uh, of, of that, of the opportunity, opportunity we all had to make the game. Um, the game is like, it's just really, really fun. Uh, and it's, it's great to play. And that's, that is beyond, you know, it, it, probably across the board, everything about it is beyond what I, um, what I had hoped for. I mean, I, I knew we had some strong ideas. I knew it was a game that should be made in a way. That's why I started the company was, I was like, where is this game? Where's the fantasy shooter I, I want to play? And uh, so I knew there was something there, but for us to actually have delivered so strongly on, on that idea, um, it's, it's, it's beyond my expectation. So I'm, I'm very happy. I can't wait for people to play it. I'm just, I'm just really thrilled about the whole thing. VGC, a video games podcast, is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.